It's my privilege uh, to continue our series titled The Witness. You know, Pentecost is an incredibly um, powerful invitation to God's people. If you uh, begin in the beginning, Genesis, there's this invitation for us to be co-laborers with God in His good creation. Today, as we explore the witness, we're going to be reminded that we are His good creation, made in His image, for His purposes in the world, for His glory, for our good, and through us, for the good of others. And so, I am glad we're along for this journey together. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. And I am so glad you have joined us today. Uh, you know, Pentecost is powerful. Have you ever thought about it like this? Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. You, you remember Babel, the story? Um, humanity, co-laborers, decided, nah, we're going to do it. And so they decided that they would build a tower into the heavens for their glory and their good. And God said, nah, not so much. Confused their languages and scattered them to the ends of the earth. And I see in Pentecost the reversal of that. Look at the nation states that are gathered at Pentecost during the festival of Tabernacle. They're listed there. And Jay said just a few weeks ago, he wouldn't read them. So if he didn't read them, I'm not going to read them because he said he was afraid of mispronouncing them. Well, if he's afraid, I'm afraid. You read them for yourselves, determine what they should say. But there are nations listed there. And to their amazement, either the power of the miracle of the spoken word or the power of the miracle of unlocked ears to hear, each and every one of them heard in their very own language the good and glorious greatness of God and who he is. And that launches us onto this journey of being witnesses. Anybody like Kurt did on stage last week? Anybody share their favorite meal with somebody this week? You know, he, he, he asked us to think about what it looks like to be a witness, share your favorite meal. I love that thought process because there are meals with God and this is what I'm talking about, experiential moments with God that allows us to say with complete transparency and honesty, I don't know about you, but here's what I experienced, and God was good and showed up in this way, and here's how my life is being changed and transformed, and I just thought it was too good to keep to myself. I wanted to share it with someone, and I know you've got friends in your life with whom you can do that. Well, as we share... There's this expectation that the hope that has filled our hearts is the hope that will fill the hearts of others. And so today, as we move into a continuance of the witness, I want to talk to you about the beauty of hope that bears fruit. Hope that bears fruit. So we're going to uh, be moving along, and I just want to bring us back to sort of the beginning. Last week, Kurt shared with us, a way to read scripture. He suggested that we can explore the Bible and its message by asking three questions. 
As you read, you can ask three questions. And the questions he posed were, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about people? And um, let me be really clear. The people we're talking about, you. Like, we can read scripture regularly and say, what does this tell me about people? And say, all them people out there. Right? So, so we, want to take it, we want to take it and not just apply it to someone else. We want to apply it to ourselves. And can I suggest there's an order in how you do that? Start with you. Start with you and then hold on to it. Let it ruminate. Let it percolate in you. And then just share it with others along the way. So what does it tell you or tell us about people? And this is where I've been living uh, for uh, quite a long period of time recently. That is, what is the invitation of the Holy Spirit? What is the, what's the ask of the Spirit? What's the direction that God might be nudging me or speaking to me? So with this thought in mind, how we read Scripture, let's read the text together. Um, you could read along uh, quietly under your breath. If we try to read it together, it might get really confusing with all of us trying to stay on a rather long passage. But uh, let's read it together. I'll read. You can follow along. Acts 2, uh, beginning with verse 35 through verse 41. Uh, just for a, a spoiler alert, the message. So if you're looking at the NIV, that's what your ears normally hear from when we read from the stage. Uh, but today I'm going to read from the message. It just spoke to me as I was making preparation. Follow along on your special device. Follow along on the screen behind me. Or open up that Bible that you brought with you today. And we're going to read it together. Here we go. All Israel, then, know this. There's no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you killed on a cross. Cut to the quick... Those who were there listening asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? Peter said, Change your life, turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away. Whomever, in fact, our master God invites. He, want, he went on in this vein for a long time. Things haven't changed much in preaching, have they? <laughs> Maybe we can change a little bit of that today. He went, on, <laughs> he went on in this vein for a long time, urging them, over and over get out while you can get out of this sick and stupid culture that day about 3,000 took him at his word were baptized and were signed up you know as I read this passage um, I just see God at work and the thought that comes to me with regard to how I see God at work I launched with saying, beginning at the beginning. I see a continuation of the work of God in this aspect. He is faithful in pursuing humanity. His good creation, made in his image, for his glory, for our good. 
collaborating together with him in the world, we have been invited. And this is just an image of God's continuation. So if you read from the beginnings all the way to the end, there's a trajectory of God at work in the world through his good and glorious creation. I love this because the passage here uh, in, in, in the verse beginning, 25 verses, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 35 and 36, is, is just reminds us, all Israel then know this, there's no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on a cross. Not too much whiplash, but to add a word to this text. Um, the NIV, if you're looking at it, that's what you have in your hand. It says, therefore. Um, in my early preaching days, I was taught really quickly that when there's a therefore, you should pause to see why it's there. And so it provides an opportunity for us to pause and review the previous text so let's do that because his preaching began before this. He's concluding his preaching. So as we take a look back, uh, let's just walk ourselves through big rock ideas in the preaching. Big rock ideas. And I'm just going to hit them as we move along. Just give me your ears for just a second. The first thing that happens, they stumble out of the upper room speaking in other languages and uh, the conclusion that was drawn by the listening audience was simply this. They're drunk. He says, the people are drunk. Let me just tell you, Peter, in his preaching, is correcting that mistake. Because he, actually, and when they think about it, everyone who's listening to this happen knows that it's way too early in the morning for anyone to be drunk. You say, how do you know that? Well, I don't for sure accept that that's what the text says. And if we listen to the cultural climate in which they live, it's 9 o'clock. They don't start eating till 10 o'clock. Right? They wouldn't have been already having their meal with their beverage. And so he's just reminding them, no, it's too early for this. The culture we live in, this just isn't how we do things. And so then... Peter moves to saying, well, let me point you to some places of your journey with which you should be really familiar. He says, remember? Remember that prophet Joel who spoke about what God would do? Uh, Joel 2, 28 through 32. Here are the highlights of what Joel says God will do at the end of the age. He says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Now, the intervening ministry of the Holy Spirit has been ongoing all along. The Spirit has been at work from the beginning, hovering over the waters of the deep, speaking peace and order into chaos, empowering, leading, guiding. Let's go to the desert. A cloud by day and a fire by night. There's this leading of God's work through the power of the Spirit. And I love what this verse does in terms of pour out my spirit on all people. This should resonate with us. William Larkin says, In this moment we understand that the spirit comes without regard to age, sex, social status, 
or as in Acts 2.39 indicates, ethnic origin. You say all. All. And if you're a good Texan, it's all y'all. See, this is what the work of the Spirit is. This is Peter taking them down memory lane. He says about this outpouring of the Spirit that there will be prophecy and there will be visions and there will be dreams. And as I think about prophecy, visions, and dreams, I ask myself this question. Is it possible that this is an opportunity for us to experience an awakening of holy imagination? Holy imagination. I don't think we think regularly enough about holy imagination. We all have an imagination. We're just filled with imaginative things. But I do believe that there is such a thing as a holy imagination. And as I was thinking about it in preparation this week, I was thinking about a holy imagination attached to the preferred prayer of Jesus that we just prayed together in our coming to the table. A prayer that is truth-telling. A prayer that is expectant and kingdom-oriented. A prayer that is invitational. Hear the words, Father, let your kingdom come. A holy imagination that Kurt reminded us of in the scripture that he read. A community that embraces and encourages. That lives lives saying yes to an open invitation from the Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Another way to say that is in and through me, right here, right now. As we pray, when we pray, this is the moment where we pause to invite a holy imagination of what a spirit empowered life might look like as we embrace the preferred prayer of Jesus in a practical way. He says signs will be visible on the, in the heavens and on the earth. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I love it. Peter says simply this, the promise of God for the Spirit to come has been inaugurated and is now present upon us. This is that. This is what was promised. Uh, okay. This is a great spot to say amen. This, this is the work of God. This is that. What has been promised. And we say amen because we say yes Lord, may it be so in me. May it be so in us. 
that he, he's, he's making markers along the way. Let me just put a personal marker in here. My paternal grandfather was a widower when I was born. He had lost his wife to cancer. And um, he never remarried, and Grandpa was an interesting man. I love him dearly. He was that old kind of guy in the sense, the traditional dress back in the day. He had a balding hairline. I mean, he almost had no hair on top, some thin strands of hair that he combed meticulously, kept them in work. But he covered, he covered that thinness of hair with a hat. He always wore a hat. Always had on trousers, like dress trousers, and a dressed up suit and tie. I mean, he, he was always dressed to the, I mean, I mean, he was dressed for anything, anything. And when he would come to my baseball games, uh, when I was a sixth grader, seventh grader, we played at Springdale Park uh, near where I grew up, and uh, he would sit in the stands, and if anything good happened on the field, if anything good happened on the field, especially if I or my uh, cousin, his other grandchild, uh, would do something well. We played on the same team. If we would do something well, you could always count. You didn't have to look. But if you did look, here's what happened. He was seated, and he would stand up, and the hat would come off and would go into his right hand, and he would begin to twirl it over his head like this. And he wasn't silent. He would twirl it over his head and he'd say, go on, go on, go on. The witness, the possibility of empowerment. I have my own marker that reminds me because he was a man of faith. He was a man of witness. And he lived his life encouraging me to be a man who goes on the baseball field, but it extended far beyond the face baseball field because regularly he would say, in other words, Alan, go on. What Peter is doing for us and for his listeners is he's planting flags of remembrance. Another way to say it would be stones of remembrance. So that when you come across them and people ask, what does this mean? You can say, go on. Go on. You can say, God's met me here before and this is what he did. And so he continues to tell the stories. And so he takes a story from their distant past and then he brings it a little bit closer in his preaching. And he says, remember... Remember how God authenticated Jesus' words and works? The authentication was simply signs, miracles, and wonders that were done among you. And then he reminds them, he says, listen, you didn't hear about it. You saw it with your own eyes. You heard it with your own ears. Remember you were there just a few not that long days ago when everybody stumbled out. I, you, I mean, this is this moment. You just heard this happen. And what you heard was we hear them speaking. This is the, the testimony. We hear them speaking our languages, describing God's mighty work. 
And then he just keeps digging in. He says, and oh, by the way, don't forget. Remember, God's raised this Jesus from the dead. This is a resurrection ascension conversation. And then he says, hey, but before you go on, let me just tell you, there's this thing I want to point out to you. He says, remember David, King David? He, he was a historical figure, a great king in Israel, whom God says of him, there will never be a time when his name, his lineage, will not be connected to the throne. That's why the genealogies are so important in the New Testament, because they align the genealogy of continuance, the promise of God fulfilled to David. He says, remember David prophesied about resurrection and ascension into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you remember? Do you remember now? Remember? He's buried right over there. So he wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the one who is master and Messiah. He, he brings it to a conclusion that God is at work. And so, again, what does this tell us about God? It tells us that he is faithful and pursuing humanity. His good creation, his great collaboration with humans for the good of others and for his glory. Brings me to the second half of the sermon in the second half of the sermon, uh, I see the verses that we read. I see that what happens here is an opportunity for invitation and response. Invitation and response. The invitation that's extended is identify who God is at work in you and then there's a compelling response to that. So here it is. All Israel then know this. There's no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on a cross. Cut to the quick, those who were listening asked Peter and the apostles, Brothers, brothers, what do we do? I had another moment when I was preparing. And at this moment, while I was reading this passage had this visualization, listening to Peter preach. The way I see it, it is simply this. He's preaching, and when he says, know this, there's no longer room for doubt. God made him master and Messiah, this Jesus whom you killed on the cross. Here's what I see the crowd doing. They take a deep breath. That's accompanied by a pregnant pause. A deep breath that's accompanied by a pregnant pause. And in this pause is the time and space and place where the Spirit works. It's the place where revelation occurs. Revelation is the work of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. He makes Jesus known to us. He tells us the truth. He points us to the good life. He reminds us that God is at work in the world. But the revelation here that contains the pregnant pause, as I understand it, is this. The revelation that I'm talking about 
is the undeniable awareness that God is speaking. That crowd had an undeniable awareness that God was speaking. Whispering, this is true. With the invitation, will you respond to the work that I am doing? What I see happening there has continued until today. And I will tell you, is at work now among us here. See, there's an expectation that when I preach, it's not about me. Oh, I, I, I want to do well. I, I really do. I, I want to do well. I want you to like it. I want you to listen. I want you to think I'm funny every now and again. I want you to think that I've told you something that maybe you haven't heard. Or I want you to understand that I'm telling you something that you've already heard. And you can say, yes, I, yes, I'm on board with you. But here's what I know the truth is. My powers of sweat persuasion pale in comparison to the pregnant pause that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. And I say there is a pregnant pause in this place today because the Spirit speaks. The Spirit speaks. So the question I ask is the question Peter asked, or, or the people asked Peter, what do we do? What do we do? This is the pregnant pause. What do we do? When the revelation of the Spirit awakens us to the compelling truth that Jesus is Master and Messiah, there's always an invitation that is attached to the revelation we're receiving. And so the response is, what will you do with what you've seen and heard? What will you do with what you've seen and heard? And this is the beauty of Peter's preaching. Because today the power of the Spirit is still the same. Because it's possible that you've been down the road of stones of remembrance as I've spoke. And the Holy Spirit has reminded. And you remember the spaces and the places where God has been at work in your life. Speaking to you truth. Inviting you to turn to him and say yes to all the work that he would do. It's possible that today your journey has led you here. You just thought it was a good day to come to church. But maybe it was a good day that the Spirit nudged you to come to church. And maybe since you've arrived, you've been nudged again. It's possible that you're here for the first time. And it's possible that if you're here for the first time, the Spirit is speaking to you now. And 
And if this isn't your first time and you've been here a long time, and the thought in your head is, I've heard it all before, hang on. Because the Spirit can whisper, no, you haven't. Let me show you. Let me show you. The Spirit of revelation, by the power of proclamation, accompanied by the Holy Spirit. We're in trouble if that's not happening. Today, my prayer is simply this. That the invitation of the Holy Spirit will be clear and compelling. Lingering and resting upon you. I pray that you will be hearing the nudges of the Spirit and His good inclination to say yes to His invitation. What is it that God might be speaking to you through the power of the Spirit? What is it? I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to give you some ideas because Peter had a couple of ideas in terms of talking to the crowd. In response to the question, what should we do? Peter just basically says in the message, Eugene Peterson, change your life. Oh, wow. Okay, now we're talking. What was the thread that ran through that statement to you? Change your life. The goodness of the Spirit is always nudging us to say yes to our next step toward Jesus and His goodness and His mercy. What's that next step for you? Turn to God. Take that next step. He talks about repentance and confession. Again, Larkin, William Larkin says, Peter's invitation is to repent do an about-face in your life's orientation and attach yourself to Jesus. Okay. Not in my notes, but it came to me. This past week, I did some uh, grand dog sitting. And this just makes all the sense in the world to me. This little puppy... Um, I was the only one to entertain him for a couple of days. He's used to uh, having a room full of entertainers, all of them willing and ready to give him the attention that he desires. And you know what I know is he knows what being a follower is look like. Like, because wherever I went, there he was. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, I'd sit down, he'd be under my feet. I'd sit down, he'd crawl up on my lap. I'd sit down, he'd be behind me. I'd sit down, he'd be under the chair barking at me. I'd sit down, always, always wanting me to pay attention to him, following. He was doing a good job of following me. We should be more like puppies. (laughs) 
The invitation of Jesus is for us to change our life, turn to God, follow him in repentance and faith. I love John Stott. He says, repentance and faith involve each other. The turning from sin is impossible without turning to God and vice versa. I told you that hope bears fruit. I want you to understand the power of obedience. I want you to understand the power of obedience. I don't think that Peter had any grandiose thought that he was going to do something really incredible. Matter of fact, I think Peter is just like me and you, like us. I think he's watching all of this happen, and I think he just says to himself, you know, somebody needs to tell them a little bit more about what's going on. And in simple obedience, hear me, simple obedience born out of his life experience, right? This is a life-studied sermon. He, 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 I don't think he's been preparing this sermon for weeks knowing that Pentecost is going to come, and when Pentecost comes, he's going to preach. This is, this is a life sermon. And I think actually what he does is he stands up and he just says, well, I know this about who Jesus is, and I know this about what God says about who he is, and I know this about what the prophet said. And it just begins to flow out of him. And all he does, all he does is simply obey. Can I just tell you that hope bearing fruit, that when hope bears fruit, the first fruit that is born is the fruit of obedience within you. The fruit of obedience. Just simple obedience. I was singing this song in my head. It's an old song. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will go. That's the only obedience I know. That's the only obedience I know. And there is a blessing to that obedience. It's the satisfaction. of yes to the invitation of God. And let me just say, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. But then there's this thing that God does. Because He blesses. And in His blessing, He multiplies our obedience and you just read the end of that preaching session. And the Lord added to the church that day about 30. 
300. 3,000. You see, simple obedience is the place where God breathes on the obedience and does what only He can do because He is the only one who multiplies our obedience and hope bears fruit in simple obedience as God blesses our engagement. So I'm done. There's two things that I want to invite you to. Two things. One is you might be here today and you know God's speaking to you. It could be that you're, the speaking is just simply, what do I do to follow Jesus? I am not a follower of Jesus. Turn your life around. Turn toward God. Repentance and faith. Faith and repentance. And follow Jesus. That's the puppy story, right? Follow Jesus. But it's also, maybe what God's speaking to you is a nudge of obedience. To say, would you just do what I'm asking you to do? Let me suggest, doing it will be sufficient in and of itself. Because what happens sometimes is we don't get to see the fruit that's born from our obedience. It happens somewhere else. And sometimes it takes a long time to get back to us, but sometimes it never comes back to us. But the simplicity of obedience is well done in itself. So don't attach an outcome to your obedience. Right? Oh, my obedience was awesome, 3,000! No, no. Just my obedience was awesome. So your obedience, and then... The second thing is simply this. You know, the first thing is say yes to God, follow him. The second thing is obedience. And so I want you to stand. And um, I want to pray for you. I have this great hope. That God takes what I say and he speaks to the hearts of those who hear. So today, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would now allow us the space to hear the invitation of your spirit. The pause that brings revelation the pause that nudges us to our next step toward you, O Lord and King. I'm going to suggest to you that as I understand who God is, it's highly likely that his speaking to you is something he's spoken to you again and again and again, and he's saying it to you again today. And the reason he's saying it to you again today is because he loves you, he cares about you, and he's welcoming you to a simple obedience. Could be something absolutely new, fantastic. But if it's not new, don't dismiss it because you've heard it before. Let me go one step further. 
And even if you've heard it before and been obedient to it, it's possible that God's just reminding you, come back to it again, come back to it again, because you're familiar with that obedience. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you are feeling the invitation, what do I do? Repent, turn, follow, and we want to pray. So here's what I want you to do. If you want prayer for any reason today, I want you to come. Find yourself around here somewhere. The tables are in the way a bit. But if you come, if you'll just come, you want prayer, you know you want prayer, I just want to invite you to come now, and we'll have people available to come pray with you if you want to come. I'm going to pray a prayer blessing, and I'm done. If uh, you feel uncomfortable about coming to the front, just turn around. I hope you have a friend that's close by or somebody near that maybe you would be bold enough to risk, would you pray for me? And just let them pray for you right there where you're standing or near the chair that you're occupying. So I bless now these your people, O oh God. Open our ears to hear the whispers of the Spirit. Open our eyes to see the glory of your goodness. And open our hearts to risk. To say, oh God, wherever you lead, I will follow. This I ask in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.